Now I'd like to have Maria come up. And uh, we're gonna, she's going to share with you the story, her and her husband, of her healing. Sure, absolutely. I'll, I'll sit here and you sit there. So, Maria, about a year and a half ago, all right, I had a word of knowledge. I was sitting right over there. Maria was on stage. And the Lord said, oh, she's pregnant. I thought, oh, interesting. But I, I'm not going to share it. I'll let her share it with everybody. And several weeks went by and nothing happened. And so I asked him, it's like, are you guys trying to have a baby? Do you remember that? Well, you want me to Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Take. Um, well, you were very kind about and how we, we were the ones that came to you and told you because you were kind of fishing, but you were being careful. And yeah. that's when we revealed to you, we've been trying. Yeah. And... Um, that was probably about four months into us trying. Okay. Four months into that. And because um, we, we had a plan, you know, everybody always has a plan. <laughs> Your plans always work out how you want them to. Um, so that was about that time frame. And then I want to say it was a year later. Is when was that we're going to take it okay. from the yeah. Sean Bolton. And so um, throughout this time, time. I kept releasing the word that the Lord gave me. It's so important that if God gives you a word of knowledge, you activate it by a word, by an act of faith. And so I kept releasing the word that God gave me. They're pregnant, all right? She came to me one time and said, you know, somebody told me maybe it's not God's will that I bear children. Do you remember that? And that came directly against the word of God that the Lord gave me. I'd like you to say the power of no. Say it. Power of no. I said no to doubt. I mean, I came against it. Do you remember that? And we also had some fear issues as well over here. You want to share that? Yes. I definitely knew there was there's always been a fear and that I've carried, and we felt one day, it was, I think it was Monday night prayers, maybe it was something like that, where I felt, um, I kind of had the sense that maybe that was something that possibly could be blocking, and you had confirmed that when we were talking, and we prayed, and we broke the spirit of fear, and I felt it, I felt, um, and through that, at at that point, I've been knowing about Sozo, and learning Sozo, and Holy Spirit revealed to me the root of where that was traced from and so we broke that right and um i just felt a release i felt a lightness like it was gone so i got the word of the lord i shared it with her we activated it but there was a blockage (laughs) a blockage of this release of this miracle sometimes when the miracle is on the way the the devil will try to block it with a fear with a doubt we dealt with that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there was another time that I was given a word. The Lord had given you some kind of word. Do you remember that now? Yes. Um, well, that was, in, that was months, a few months, maybe a month or so after yeah. the first time we spoke. So um, nothing still had happened. We still hadn't got pregnant. So, you know, doubt again tries to come back and tell you that 
what you did wasn't it didn't do anything and so you thought you died itself but God doesn't work today there's no right. miracles yes and so I knew that okay no I have this word and even before James came to me the first time God had told me that we were going to have a baby that we were going to have kids and um but you, it's still discouraging and you still those lies and that doubt still comes when you don't see anything happening and then you break this fear off and you feel you feel that shifting and then a few months later still nothing's happening i want to say it was a year finally a year about that point a year after maybe a year and four months mm -hmm. or so almost hitting that half mark so we there's hadn't a, talked about it yeah and then we went to a conference, and that's right. where you had that word for me, because you like, I wondered how things have been going. And I told you that it's, it's been challenging, it's been hard. I even had the word from my doctor that um, she put me on this medicine, and her exact words were, you should have been pregnant by now, and since you're not, you have to see a specialist. I, I feel like you're gonna have to go through fertility treatments, and. That's more discouragement. That's more doubt. But it was that word at that conference that James gave gave us was the only thing. Because I'm like, God told me, James confirmed that I'm going to stay strong on that word. Even though I don't feel it, even though doubt's coming in and nothing in me is believing it, I still was standing on that word. So there's a perseverance, people, yes. in, in faith. A path. Yes. All right? It's not microwave. If God gives you a word, you persevere in that word, right? Now, this whole time, I had kind of this burden, this weight upon me of this. It wasn't heavy. It was just there. I felt I was carrying this with them, all right? So after this conference of where she received this word, she was reactivating her faith. I was in the booth back there, and Aaron was back there, and all of a sudden, I felt this weight gone I wasn't carrying it anymore interesting and so I looked at Aaron go ahead Aaron and I said Aaron uh, is there an announcement or something that I need to know about I think I think I was standing over there and you you like hint, you mouthed like yeah, are you pregnant I remember I think I was just like <laughs> <laughs> and seeing your face you were just like, and so the word that was birthed in my spirit, that was persevered, that was fought for, that doubt tried to come and get, was fulfilled. And now we have the evidence right over there in Mama Claire's arms of faith, the evidence, that's the evidence of faith, right? Amen? See how it works? Thank you, guys. And even, well, yeah. and even when we to that conference before it even started the god put on my heart he, he said that you you are gonna you guys are gonna be pregnant and you it will not need any intervention because at that point we actually have been it had been over a year and a half actually yeah. and so it's at that point we're just like maybe you know it is god we we believe at that point we were like we believe it is god's you, will lord. for us to have kids thank but, you lord you know some, thank maybe you, we will need some help so um, but at that conference, God can, God said in my heart, like you, you will not need any intervention. You will, this will happen. Not and, an intervention. And not even three born. months later then yeah, yeah it happened. Amen. Yeah. Let's give glory to God. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this life. Thank you for this life, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit.
Let's just leave that on. We got another one here. Claire and I just returned on Thursday from um, burying her father. Her father passed away. And um, before that, though, sweetie, can you come up? Guys, this is my rock right here. She is my rock to my rock and roll. You get it? Roll. Come on. Rock and roll. Somebody laugh. You're, you're killing me here. She is my, yeah, the walk to my roll. Um, when did you go up the first time to Cincinnati? there with my dad and my stepmother spending time um, he had a lung transplant five and a half years ago and was doing really well up until about January and then started having some setbacks every couple of months or so something would happen he'd end up in the hospital for a few days or a week or so and then he'd get better but then they were happening every couple of months so we knew that Things were changing, and time was getting shorter. So I spent a month up there, and... Um, For the last however long, decades, you have not had a good relationship with your father. He was distant. I mean, it wasn't bad. We didn't argue or anything like that, but there was no real connection. It was, hey, how's it going? How's the weather? Kids are in school. Jordan's playing volleyball. You know, nothing deep or meaningful. We just got along. Did you desire, did you have a hunger for a deep? And did we not release that freedom to have a good relationship? So what happened right there at the end of your first visit there with your dad? So my dad was in a uh, skilled nursing facility, rehab facility, um, trying to get stronger after his most recent setback. And I could tell he was battling fear that the end was coming. He grew up Catholic. He believes in God. He believes in Jesus. I believe he's in heaven today. Thank you. But he was fearful. And I didn't want that for my dad. Yes. Thank you, Lord. And the Lord gave me the boldness to just tell him, you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. Because all his life, he's had to be stoic and not show emotions. Yes. And be the one that didn't bother or burden anyone. And he was still battling that. I said, Dad, you can let us in, and we can go through this together. You don't have to be alone. And he started crying, which my dad never does. Wow. And he said, I know. And he started talking to me and my stepmom and just telling us the things he was worried about, which were real worries. You know, can I go back home? It's a two-story house. I can't get upstairs where the bedrooms and bathrooms are. Just 
the worries that he felt that he had never felt or shared with me before. And so we were real, finally, probably for the first time in my life. And that's at the end there. I've been married to you for 23 years now, and I've never heard this. I'm going to need these more than she does. Uh, But he said something to you that was evidence of a healing in our relationship, right? What what did he say about you and the family? He's, like I said, he's never been emotional or anything. And to him, finances are the most important thing. He grew up dirt poor, nothing. And the number one concern in his life is always finances. We haven't always exactly had the most stable financial life. And so I always felt like he was kind of, I don't know if judging is quite the right word, but he wasn't happy with my family and the decisions we made and our finances and that kind of thing. But he said, I love you and your family. He included all of us because we didn't do things the way he would have done. You know, we made financial sacrifices so that I could be at home with the kids and it just wasn't the way he would have done things. And I've always felt that kind of hanging over our relationship. But he just, when he looked at me and said, I love you so much and your whole family. And it just healed so much of that with those words. And I could tell he meant it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, babe. Guys, do you think the Lord is the healer of a womb? Yes? Do you think he's the healer of relationships between parents and children? Somebody raise your hand and agree with me on that. Now... Who in this room needs healing between a parent and a child relationship? Whether you're the parent or whether you're the child. I want you to stand up, please. An act of faith. Claire's going to stand right over there by that wall. She has been given a measure of faith. She acted on it with her parent. And now she wants to give that to you. Remember how I said we need to act on our faith? You guys are declaring by standing up that I need a healing, just like Claire did. I need a healing in my relationship between my child and myself, or myself and my parents or whatever. So what I'm going to invite you to do right now is to go over to Claire as an act of faith, and she's just going to give you what she has. It's that simple. So please go over there right now. CJ, I'd like you to come up here, please. As an act of faith, she's just going to give you a cup of what she had, and we're going to release that healing on the relationships between parents and children. Maybe it's your mom and dad. Maybe it's your kid. Thank you, Lord. Now, as they're just receiving this, something's going to happen, Brother Ray. Something's going to happen. We're going to have testimony out of this. 
something that was impossible. God's going to intervene through his power and something's going to happen. I've asked CJ to come up here. She has another testimony. We're bragging on God today, right? Okay, so you told me something maybe a month ago or so about a healing you received, right? And so you were at our house for a home group? Right. So uh, February of 2015, um, probably about four or five months before that, I'd started just feeling really hot within my body and my heart would, was just beating really fast all the time. And I, I lost like 15 pounds in like two weeks. Oh. And uh, just really, really tired. I went to the doctor in February of 2015. And the, the doctor did some blood tests and said, you have hyperthyroidism. And she said, it's incurable. You're going to have to be on medication for the rest of your life. And so she got me on medication right away. So several months after that, we went to, our whole family went to James's life group. We had just started coming here, and we were going to different life groups, and James did an altar call for healing, and you prayed for me and laid hands on me that I would be healed from the thyroid issues. Do you, do you recall at all what I said, how I released that faith? I remember laying hands, was you it on your hands. throat? Yes, that's right. Right. Yes. And I commanded that thyroid to come back get in line yes to get in that's line right that's right, right. Yes. i command it so the lord gave me a, vi- a vision of a rebellious thyroid because it wasn't created to do that so i commanded it mm-hmm. right that's my right. act of faith was to command something to get back in line are you following me all right now what happened so that was February 2015, a whole year goes by, I'm on the medication, still feeling the symptoms. Um, a year and a half later, August of last year, my doctor moved, and then through a series of events, I couldn't get any more medication. So the medication was kind of controlling the thyroid, and all of a sudden, all my medication's gone, and I can't get any more. And so it kind of kicks in that, Thank you, Lord. that God... You know, you've been believing God and you've been using the medication, but God is, is going to heal you. And so, you know, the medication was gone. I started to feel the symptoms come back, the overheatedness and the heart palpitations. And, um, you know, the you. Holy Spirit just said, you know, are you going to believe me or not? And um, you, it, it just flashed in my mind the prayers that we prayed and that we, we prayed yeah, that. And it was either you're going to believe God or you're not. And so I just started. Every time I felt the overheatedness and the heart palpitations, I would speak, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. Amen. I'm healed. I don't care what it feels like. I'm healed. Yes, I'm hot. Yes, my heart is going crazy. But I'm healed. I'm healed. And that went on for probably another nine months. And slowly but surely, I started feeling less hot, and the heart palpitations kind of went away. And um, so I went to the doctor. It's probably been about two months ago. I went to the doctor. They said, okay, you need to come in and, you know, let us take a look at you. 
So I went in, and she didn't know I hadn't taken the medication for a year and a half. And so she does the blood work, and we come in there, and we're going over the results. And uh, she said, oh, your, uh, your blood levels are better than they were last year. The medicine is working. I said, well, I haven't taken it for a year and a half. And so she said, she says, excuse me? So I haven't taken it for a year and a half. Praise God. And she said, well, how do you feel? I said, I feel great. So my, I, I'm not hot. My weight has been great. And so then she says, well, probably because you were taking it a year, you know, two years ago. And, you know, maybe that helped it and blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, I'm healed. Yes. I'm healed. So, yes. Um, Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Let's give, let's give a shout out to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, CJ. Why don't you go over to Claire and get your healing for that family. God is active today, people. John saw an angel while we were praying back there. He's going to see an angel that's bringing... What I, what I said to James was, as we were in the prayer room in the back before we left, I feel that James or I or somebody in this congregation is going to see an angel. And the angel is going to have two pair of legs. And that angel is going to give those legs to James. And James is going to run around. Praise God. So look for that angel. Look for that angel. That was a word of knowledge, people. Candace? Candace is getting all excited back there, jumping up and down when John said angel. Last week, I had to go, um, it was late, night, but I had to get to the vitamin shop. And as, I, well, as I'm going there, I'm, pre, I'm, I'm praying, you know, I was pushing the clock, needed to leave sooner, but you know how things go. And so, you know, we're always asking for protection, asking for the angels to, you know, oversee everything. God, I really need to create a time miracle. I really need to get here safe. And all of a sudden, I'm going up um, Beltline towards 30. And normally, we're just kind of looking around. And I see this, you know, the big flagpoles. And, um, but I saw the, the white, I saw the flag and stuff. But then I looked up just a little bit higher, right above that flag. Plain as day. Tall, standing angel. Just looking in the midst as I'm driving, like... You're, you're good. Keep going. Just so look for your angel. Yeah. God Amen. is, this is the year I believe God is just going to be yes. showing us yes. believers Come on. more and more. But Come you on. have to have an open heart. Yes. And as he pours more into you, yes. he's just going to fill you more and more. But it's up to you. So you can close your eyes and say, whatever. She's yes. just seeing this. No. Your act of faith is believing what you cannot see right now. And with your act of faith, God's going to show you. Amen. 
He will show you. You keep looking. Thank you. Thank you, Candace. So last night I'm trying to get to sleep and the Lord starts dropping some words of knowledge in my spirit and wrote it down. Here's how a word of knowledge works. If, if I say something and it, it's yours, I need you to react some way to release that faith. All right? I'm not going to embarrass you, but if it, if it lands on your heart, right? I want you to say, okay, I'm going to grab that one. That's mine. But secondly, if you get a gift of faith, it's like, oh, somebody's going to be healed by that. I need to know that too, because the Lord's going to put his power through you to release that. You get it? All right. Anybody? You get it? Okay. So word of knowledge. Uh, The Lord's going to be healing a heart or hearts. And this heart has fat around the arteries. And your doctor specifically said, you have a bad heart. Does anybody want that? He's going to heal that. Nobody here. Okay. Next one, a kidney, a right kidney. I saw actually a hole in the kidney. Does anybody have a kidney issue? Anybody want that one? Anybody know of a family member that has a kidney issue? All right. So does anybody have, is it a family member close? Your mom? All right. Her mom has a kidney that needs to be healed. Does anybody have a gift of faith right now to pray and release that? Who has it? All right. So stand up, turn around and release that miracle of a healed kidney. In the name of Jesus. Last one. Um, no, we already talked about Claire and the family, and she released that. Thank you, Father. Just pray with Jerry right now as she receives her healing. your presence Lord all right now we can start I need a little help here I need y'all's creative problem-solving intellect all right Uh, back a few years ago there was an invention it was a portable nuclear reactor provided power, immense power, to either bring uh, power to a city or a country, or it could be used for weapons, all right? A few years ago, one of our biggest enemies, ISIS, kidnapped it, captured it, along with some engineers that knew how to work the reactor, all right? Now, here's my question to you. We, it belongs to America, has to get this reactor, this power, back from ISIS, all right? How would we do it? Give me some responses. What would you do to go get that reactor from ISIS and bring it back to America where it belonged? 
Find out where it is. Any suggestions? Any military, maybe? Form a plan of retrieval. How many military should we should we get together on this? I mean, we're talking ISIS. It's an army. How many? A lot. Ten thousand, twenty thousand, a whole bunch. We're talking about a reactor that can create a nuclear bomb, right? Say it again. Oh, you know, about so big. It's portable. But you got a big enemy there, and it's powerful. So would you get a big army, right? No? Special forces? Seals? All right, there's a lot of power here. You've got to be careful with it, right? Radiation and all that. What else? What else would you think of? Send a drone. How about some helicopters? Maybe some satellites? Surely say, no, you're going down the wrong path. Send God. Send God. There you go. I like y'all's responses. And this actually happened a long time ago. The reactor, the thing of power, was the Ark of the Covenant. Was it powerful? Right. About so big. And the Philistines actually captured it. Now, let me add one more thing to our little scenario here. The engineers is somebody you know, somebody you really love. I want you to think of somebody, maybe a child, a friend, father, a mother, right? Maybe somebody would send their cat because they love them more than anything. That engineer is with this reactor. So you've got to protect them as well. All right? There is a love factor, if you will. How would you go and get it? Turn to 2 Samuel 6, please. 2 Samuel 6. And let's read this story of how David is going to get the power back from the Philistines. 2 Samuel Chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse 1. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel. I would say that would be a special forces SEAL team. 30,000 of them. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God or this source of power whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubims. Where was the Lord? With the ark, right? It's not just a box. According to scripture, that's where God resided. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, a new cart, like maybe a drone or a helicopter or a Humvee or something Strong, something new, new technology, a new cart. Not an old cart where they were dragging around the dung or dragging around, you know, whatever. It was a new cart. And brought it out of the house of Abinadad. 
which was on the hill of Uzzah in Aho, Ohio. Is that Ohio? Honey, is it in Ohio? The sons of Abinadad drove the new cart. That was pretty prestigious. They were the captains of this SEAL team. They're going to go get this powerful weapon where God lived. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadad, which was on the hill accompanying the ark of God, and Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of firwood and harps and stringed instruments, on tambourines and sistrums and on the cymbal. And when they came to this guy's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his heir. He died there by the ark of God. And David became angry. God had killed his captain of the SEAL team. David became angry and of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place uh, Perez, Uzzah, to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Why was David wanting to go into the enemy territory with 30,000 men to bring the ark of the Lord, not to Jerusalem, not to the temple, what does it say? How can the ark of the Lord come to me? The power of God only comes to those that are hungry, personally. Not God bring the house of the Lord to Garland or Lord bring the power of God to this church. I want it. How can the ark of the Lord, let me say it this way, how can the power of God come to James, come to Cherie? There was anger, there was disappointment. He was getting the whole army together so that he could have the power of God. Is that wrong? Absolutely not. But my question to you is why? Why was he hungry? It wasn't just that the Philistines had this box. It wasn't that he wanted to re restore a treasure. Why was he going to this measure to bring 30,000 men, a new cart, these captains of honor, to bring it back to him? Why? That's what we're going to explore today. Verse 10, so David would not move the ark of the Lord with him until the city, into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obadiah, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obadiah, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obadiah and all of his household. Now, it was told to King David, who wanted this power, 
saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obadiah and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obadiah to the city of David with gladness. Verse 13, And so it was when those bearing, everybody say bearing, everybody say take the load, Doesn't look like an ox cart to me. It looks like those bearing. What's the difference? Those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, and he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. See, what he did is he went back into the law. The Lord had told him how the ark, the power, his seat was to be transported. Right? Not on an ox cart. Let me put it this way. Not, how did the Philistines transport the ark? On an ox cart. The world's way of trying to get power was used by David. And God says, no, you're not going to treat me the way the world treats me. You're going to be treating me and my awesome power with respect and the way I want to be treated, by the law, not by the world's way. See, in our little scenario, we came up with what we knew as a great way to retrieve something, right? SEAL teams and drones and, and uh, satellites and guns and weapons and power, that's what we know. That's what David knew. He, he was a military leader. He knew how to go in and retrieve something. But dealing with the power of God, you have to do it his way. Anybody get that? All right. He wanted the power of God. Why? What was valuable in it? Right? There was the Ten Commandments. There was Aaron's budded rod. There was a bowl of manna. Really? 30,000 men for that? What? His presence. Why did he want his presence? Let's look. Lord had me research past revivals. All right? Judy, why don't we bring up the Scottish Hebrides revival, the Isle of Lewis. All right? 1949. I am going to do this in reverse. I am going to tell you what the manifestation of this revival was, and then I'm going to go to how they brought it home. All right? The manifestation of the revival. After several days of meetings that Campbell McAlpine had, suddenly the island was gripped with a new awareness of God. The awareness of God brought a conviction of sin, and nearly the entire isle was converted due to a thick and evident presence of God. They would have dances going on, all right? They, you know, like the bar scene or going to the club and whatever. The presence of God would come into that place, 
they would stop dancing and run to this little church here. That's power, people. They were convicted of their own sin, not condemned. The devil comes to condemn. You're bad or you're worthless. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. He says, I want this thing. I want this habit. I want you to stop doing this and come into my presence. This church could hold around 500 with standing room only. People would wait outside, not being able to get in. People, they said, were just drawn from the whole island of Lewis. This is on the west side of Scotland. To a meeting and the power that was present. People would fall on the platform just crying for the mercy of God. A strong conviction of sin came with the power and the presence of God. People would start showing up at church at 11 a.m. when there wasn't even a service planned. They would just show up. Um, At 7 o'clock at night, there would be 700 people waiting outside. This is in 1949. How did they know about it? What was their technology? Some people were just like, i got to go to this church. I don't know why. They would stay there and just rest and be still in the presence of God till 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning. The manifestation... It was a drawing to God and a deep conviction of sin. The presence was so powerful on this church at one time that the whole church lifted off the foundation and was moved a few feet. That's power. Now, how'd they get there? In 1949, Campbell McAlpine, a successful revivalist, was working in Ireland. Uh, leading people to be converted to Christ. He was thoroughly engaged in his work in Ireland when he received a call to go to the Isle of Lewis in the Outer Hebrides. His initial, he initially resisted the call, but doors started closing where he was working in Skye, Ireland, opening the opportunity for him to go. The call came from a Reverend James Murray McKay at the prompting of two Gaelic-speaking sisters in their 80s. In their 80s. In their 80s. Total, one was totally blind. The other one was completely crippled by arthritis. But both of them were sick and tired of the rampant sin in their community and in their island. They had turned their backs on God. What did they want? They wanted conviction of sin. What came? A spirit that brought conviction of sin and a repentance. Here we go. Here's the sacrifice of the oxen and and the, uh, well, the sacrifice is every six paces. Both were praying for up to 15 hours per day for revival to come to their island. The presence of God, people, is not cheap. It costs something. Why did David want something that cost so dearly? Those oxen were expensive. Are you kidding? Every six paces, a whole nother sacrifice, and walk six more paces, and a whole nother sacrifice? What did that cost him? It was tremendous. But he paid the price for the presence. 
The sisters insisted that the Lord had told them that Campbell was coming. At one occasion, Campbell, back in Ireland, was the main preacher at a faith mission uh, convention in Ireland when he suddenly felt that he must leave at once, despite being engaged to speak at the closing meeting there the next day. He went to the Isle of Lewis, where he was met by an elder of the local church who had no pastor. All right? And this elder said, we are so convinced that you were coming today that he had already announced the meetings at which Campbell was to preach. The sisters were hungry. The sisters were desperate. And the sisters were willing to pay the price to bring the presence of God into their church, into their community, and into their island. Question again, why? Why? What? How do I get that hungry? Let's go to Azusa Street. 1906. There's your revivalist. Son of a slave. Blind in one eye. From smallpox. This is in the Jim Crow era. Okay? A perfect picture of a revivalist, right? As you would see on TV today. Could he be one of those evangelists on TV? This is William Seymour. I'm going to tell you about the manifestations of Azusa first. The power of what happened. Then we're going to go back to see what price he paid. There were healings of all kinds. Feathers would fall from the sky, from the, from, the, from the ceiling. Gold dust on people's hands and head. The fire department was called, saying the people going by said that the roof was on fire. Not only was the fire going up, but there was a fire coming down. They had never seen that before. One of the biggest manifestations was that there was a unity between all denominations. Catholics, Protestants, Methodists, all of them would come in unity and worship the Lord. <clears throat> William Seymour, they had a small wooden box they called a podium. It was actually two uh, shoe boxes put together. He would sit down on their little stage and put his head in the top shoebox and just pray. Humility and the power fell. People would start just singing in other tongues and start playing instruments that they had no training on at all. Could you imagine an instant band that was, put, that was playing uh, just what the Spirit told them? This revival was a revival that spread across the world. Many of the other revivalists of the day were birthed, were anointed in this place. This is why I had you go to Claire, because she received an anointing for healing between a parent and a child, and she just took a scoop of it and gave it to you. That's what happened here. Now let's talk about William Seymour. You can go through the pictures. 
Father and mother a slave. Father had fought and died in the Civil War. Seymour left home and traveled the nations, the nation looking for truth. He was hungry. He knew something was out there. He wanted the presence of God. And he traveled from Texas up to Indiana, over to Ohio, looking for this. Seymour met Charles F. Parham. He was a revivalist in Topeka in 1901, the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit in America. He went to his place, and this guy, uh, Parham, had a school of revival. Okay, here's his school of revival. But because Seymour was African American, he was not allowed to come in and sit at the meeting. He was not allowed to go to the altar and pray because he was black. He stayed outside that door and received everything from the Holy Spirit. And here's the key, people. He refused to be offended. All right? Have you ever seen, um, what is the term? I took offense. All right? John, if I offered you offense, would you take it? You see, there is an action in there. You're going to be offended, people. But it's up to us to take it. Seymour says, no, this is an offense, a true offense. But he refused it because he wanted something more. He wanted the presence and he wanted the power more than he wanted to be offended. Praise God. Lord, reveal, re- release that onto our nation right now. We reject the spirit of offense, and we receive your spirit of acceptance and forgiveness for this broken nation. Parham had this school of revival that was segregated, and Seymour had to listen outside this school. Seymour was preaching down in Houston when a pastor from L.A., Los Angeles, heard about him and was impressed. They sent him money for a bus, um, a train ticket. And Seymour went from Houston to Los Angeles to preach at this mission in L.A. He was still searching. He was still hungry. He was still wanting this presence. He went to go preach. And after, that they, after they heard what he was preaching about, Holy Spirit, fire, tongues and all, they rejected his word and kicked him out within four days with no train ticket home. He had no place to go. He was homeless. He was still hungry, though. He started um, now hungry for the presence of God. Uh, was I'm sorry, I lost my place here. In L.A. at the time, there was a hunger for a revival in most all the churches. There was 247 churches, and nearly all of them were crying out to God as a whole community for this revival. See, there's a hunger, and they were paying the price in prayer and fasting. They were all united in prayer and fasting and expecting a revival in Los Angeles Two important parts to revival people is unity and hunger. It doesn't matter if they're at a different denomination or if they look or smell different. 
We are called to be the body of Christ, right? And when we're unified and hungry, the Lord will come and visit. He started preaching in a mission in L.A. about baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and this offended the ministers of this mission. They kicked him out of the church. He had no money, no direction, no home, no place to go. And after one week, Edward S. Lee of the uh, Peniel Mission invited him to come to his home. With no direction, Lee and Seymour just spent their days praying. Lee would often go off to work at a bank, and Seymour would just pray up to seven hours a day. He was hungry. He wanted the presence. He wanted the power. And my question again is why? How do you get this hunger? How do you get the hunger that David had? How do you get the hunger that Seymour had? Richard and Ruth Ashbury invited Seymour uh, to a prayer meeting over at their house. They entered into a time of prayer and fasting for two weeks. On April 9th of 1906, Seymour was preaching, and uh, Seymour was preaching about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit fell and kept falling and kept falling. And people just started being drawn to this house. They didn't know why. And all these other manifestations started to happen. He was hungry. They were unified. He paid the price in prayer and fasting, and the power came home. There's something deeper, though, than hungry. How do we get hungry? As I was preparing for this message, I said, God, how do we get this hunger? And he revealed it to me, and we're going to discuss it at the end here. Brownsville Revival, 1995. Steve Hill and John Kilpatrick. I was actually at this one. The manifestations, heat just radiating off of people, an overwhelming feeling of love, like a blanket, like ten comforters just laying on you, and it was just God's presence just filling you with love, a heavy feeling of a blanket of contentment laid on them. There would be smoke in the room, there were cameras around, and they would be uh, filming the, the meeting. And they say, hey, are you seeing this through the camera? They're seeing what? They left the camera booth area and the whole room was filled with a smoke, a colored smoke that would change colors. The cameras couldn't pick it up, but the people saw it and were in it. The smoke of the presence of God. Don't tell me God doesn't smoke. I'm kidding. It's a joke. Don't kick me off the stage. Smoke in the room that the cameras couldn't pick up. Feathers again. What's the deal with feathers? Falling. Gold dust on people's hands. The fire department again was called two different times. People reported that the church was on fire. Literally on fire. There was a report. uh, Highway 10 runs about 10 miles north of this church. Truckers could see a light beam coming out of this church. You know how they have those, used to have those light beams when they were advertising a store opening or a movie or whatever? That was coming out of this church, and there was no lights like that. It was the power of God resting on that place. Cool. Prostitutes, dressed like prostitutes, coming in and being treated with great acceptance and hospitality, hearing the message and being saved. 
drunks coming in. This church is in a bad part of town. Bad part of town, all right? Drunks would enter and instantly be sober. The sheriff in the area reported that crime had disappeared from the area around the church. Eight years, the longest running revival in American history. I was there. I felt the presence. I saw their church kind of came up into one central area in the church. And I saw with my own eyes that that central part of the church opened up like a tornado. And I could see outside. And I could see angels just pouring into the place. Pouring into the place. I was mesmerized for, for hours. I could just see the power just being released in this place. <clears throat> Excuse me. Pastor John Kilpatrick, here's how he got there, okay? Stopped having regular services on Sunday night. Do you guys remember when there was church services on Sunday night? They stopped it. That's pretty big for the Assemblies of God. <clears throat> and, they said, and he said, as the pastor, we're just going to have a prayer meeting. We're going to start paying the price. We're going to go six paces and sacrifice for the Lord. We're going to pay this price. They would put these banners around the room. It's a pretty big room. The banners were like uh, children's ministry or worship or missions. And one of the banners said revival. And on those Sunday nights, people were just drawn to this banner and they just commanded it and asked the Lord and they prayed and fasted. They put banners around the room. They were invited to go pray by the banners for two years. Two years they paid this price. Here we go. The congregation, not an individual, the congregation corporately prayed for the power of God to come. So critical. L.A., the whole, all the churches were in unity, and the power of God came through Azuzu. This whole congregation corporately came together and was hungry for the Lord. And it sparked this revival that lasted for eight years. The pastor was desperate for more. I want to play you a few videos here. Judy, can you play the uh, first one that says Pensacola? And uh, check the volume, make sure that's up. This is Pastor Kilpatrick telling his testimony.
Do you hear his desperation? He wasn't just being theatrical. That's how he was. If he didn't have it, he was going to die. That's desperate. That's hungry. He taught us how to pray that way. Again, it was not theatrical. If he didn't have it, but why? Why was he so hungry? A very successful pastor. He had everything that he wanted, but he didn't have that power, that presence, the ark. It wasn't in here. He wasn't even praying for his church. He was praying for him. That desperation. Why? I want to introduce you to the evangelist that was invited. Steve Hill. If you can put up that picture of Steve Hill. The two pictures, uh, the one on the uh, left and the middle one, was when he was booked for drug usage and drug distribution. Another perfect man of God. He was a drug addict. He was a drug pusher. He was a mess. Then God got a hold of his life. And he says, I got to have you, God. I got to have all of you. I am desperately hungry for you. 1994, he went over to England. And there was a revival breaking out in, of all places, a Lutheran church. You know what a vicar is with the white thing and the hat and all things? God chose a hungry vicar to release his power. So Steve says, called him up, says, can I have a meeting with you? He said, sure, come on by, you know, noon or whatever. So he showed up about five minutes early going into the church and there are bodies lying everywhere in a Lutheran church. The vicar's up front, kneeling at the altar, and Steve is stepping over bodies and saying, I'm sorry, I didn't know this was going on. What's happening? He's like, oh, this is normal. Power of God's here, and this is what happens. They're just getting loved on by the Lord. They're getting filled, and when they got up, they were completely different. Steve didn't have this meeting he got down on his knees in front of the vicar and say, I want what you have. Pour it out on me, just like Claire did on you. Pour it out on me. I've got to have it. He got poured out, laid out for 20 minutes, and he said he woke up a brand new person. God had gone in there like Roto-Rooter and sanctified him, convicted of him of his sins. He got rid of that, and he woke up with the presence and the power to bring revival. Judy, would you play number two on the Pensacola Revival? I just share some experiences that I had how God was moving. I talked uh, a little bit about Argentina. I talked about some of the things I took in my own life. I talked about everything more than God and what we experienced. For 20 minutes, rivers were flowing through me. A river, just a river. Transformed. I was brand 
to share some experiences that I've had and how God has moved me. I talked uh, a little bit about Argentina. I talked okay. about some things I've seen in my own life. That's it, Judy. You can stop it. Hello. There we go. So he, again, he was hungry for it. The Lord laid him out and he had just had rivers of power running through him. Judy, can you go to the Bill Johnson slide? Bill Johnson went to the Toronto outpoint that we're going to hit here in just a minute. His church was doing okay. He had some signs and wonders, but he wanted more. That's the thing about the power of God. It's addictive. Once you get some, you want more and more and more. He went to the Toronto Blessing. I think you said that you went, didn't you, at one time? He said every time that there was an altar call, whether it was for Uh, He said uh, if it was African-American pregnant women that were dealing in education, he would go up and get prayer for. Whatever they invited people up for, he would go for. He says, I want it all. I want it all. After he came back home, the Lord touched him in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock, and he calls it being electrocuted. His arms and his legs were straight out as he was laying down. It hit him at 3 o'clock in the morning and lasted till like 6.30. And during this whole time, he says, it wasn't all that comfortable. In fact, it was a little bit scary when the power of God starts running through you. But all he could say is, God, I want more. I want all of you. I want more. Why? Why would he go through that? Three nights in a row, Bill Johnson was woken up in the middle of the night with the power of God shooting through him, where his legs and arms just got stiff. Not comfortable. But he wanted more. He wanted more. After that, this Bethel movement started. And we know. I mean, it's affected us. It's affected my family. Got two kids going there. A revival in our hearts because he paid the price. Others, Catherine Kuhlman. uh, The Welsh revival. Uh, Evan Roberts sought the Lord for two years. He paid the price. Let's go to the Toronto outpouring. 1994, John and Carol Arnott, manifestations, and I'm going to claim this for our church right here. One of the biggest manifestations is they had healed marriages. I heard testimony after testimony on YouTube where married couples would go and they said they hated the other spouse. This one lady says, I stood over my husband at night while he slept with a knife, trying to get the courage to kill him. That's pretty rough marriage right there. There was not just, oh, I can't stand the guy. There was contempt to the point of murder. They said, this is our last chance. We're going to go to this Toronto outpouring. And God's power met them Their act of faith was to go for their marriage. And the power of God changed two people. And they were so in love with people, it was embarrassing. Power of God can change a person's heart from murder to love unconditionally. So many testimonies like that. Multiple international ministries were birthed or energized out of the Toronto blessing. Bill Johnson, Randy Clark, 
Heidi Baker, they all attribute to what they got, what was poured out there to their ministry and their successes. This is John and Carol Arnott. Miracles of all kinds. People out of wheelchairs. Amen. Uh, this one lady was in a uh, car accident, and they didn't treat her or set her correctly. Her whole rib cage was out of, out of alignment. Her foot was, uh, her leg was broken with her foot, and it was like to the side like this. She came up for healing, and the Lord just put all of it back to normal. She said it actually hurt, but that healing of just restructuring the bones and the skeletal and all the tendons and the muscles that came with it, the power of God. There's your manifestation. John and Carol were hungry too. They saw what was happening around and said, this, we, are not, we, we can't live like this. We can't play church. We're great pastors and great teachers. And people come and we counsel, but that is not enough. I want the presence. I want the power. I want the ark. I want what normal Christians should be having. They cried out to the Lord, and the Lord told them two things. Give me your mornings and go seek people who are anointed. So every morning they would be praying. I don't know how long, but then they started seeking out those that were anointed. And they went down to Argentina where there was an outpouring, and they got it. They said, it's mine. I want it. They paid the price for the ark, for the presence, for the power. They came home, and the power just started flowing out of all of them. One of their manifestations, one of their, I don't want to call it a ministry, something they do is called a soaking center where they just get in the presence of God. There's no performance. There's no music. There's no teaching. There's no preaching. There's no even laying on of hands. There's just soaking. 